From the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy! Hello and welcome back to Inside Jeopardy, your exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy. I'm Sarah Foss and I'm here today with Buzzy Cohen. How you doing, Sarah? Well, I'm good. I'm coming off the heels of two big days of second chance competitions. This is, you know, the kickoff of the postseason that we were planning to kick off (laughs) months ago, but it has happened. So just this week, we saw the return of 18 season 39 champions. Don't say a word. All of whom came so close to a victory that first time when they came out. To compete, but for a few different sliding door moments, they walked away without a win, and now is their time to come back. Obviously, this format follows, we start out with nine, and we play three qualifying games, essentially, and then the winner of each advances to a two-game total point affair. So we saw six people emerge as Jeopardy! champions. Nice. Regardless if they won the whole second chance competition, they can now call themselves Jeopardy champions, which I know you know firsthand what that means. Can't take that away from you ever. Yeah. Ever. And our two winners are now headed into Champions Wildcard, which we will be featuring in January. And uh, we've got two more second chance competitions next week. The train is not slowing down. Wow. We've got more in store. And uh, this was the launch of all new material of course our writers have been back for weeks now and they were certainly you know contributing to some of the remaining champions wildcard games but this material this second chance season 39 material all new all curated by our writers and it really felt good plus buzzy yeah spoiler alert we've got a new logo and uh, a new open for the show headed oh your way. my god i love a new open yeah so we took it in a different direction You know, we've been featuring (laughs) the 19 boxes. I call them the 19 boxes because every season uh, I was one of the ones who had to come up with what 19 things we were going to feature in those boxes that, you know, rotate on. So our team kind of looked at it from a different perspective and we decided to kind of give you a little behind the scenes, you know, like a little what, what goes into... The making of Jeopardy in those seconds leading up to the show. Mm, That's cool. Yeah. It's kind of got like a little bit of a Saturday Night Live vibe. You know how they kind of show you the cue card guys as they go to commercial break. It's almost like we're all getting ready. You know, it's it's a Muppet show. It's the Muppet show basically is what you're telling me. Well, no. (laughs) It's Jeopardy. It's it's Jeopardy. It's time to put on makeup. It's time to light the lights. Yes. Okay. Yes. But we are not... The Muppets. <laughs> anyway, this will debut along with Second Chance Season 39 on December 19th. So tune in for that. I'll be uh, curious to know know your thoughts, get your yeah. reviews. We'll be recapping it here on the show. You and you read well. my mind because my next question was going to be, when do these shows air? Yes. Tuesday, December 19th is when you're going to see your Second Chancers from Season 39 back on the Alex Trebek stage. Lots to get through in Jeopardy airtime as well. That's just a little JPT as MPD likes to call it. (laughs) Now let's get into JAT. A lot to highlight today, Buzzy. Just last week we crowned Nick Casconi our wild card champion of the clubs group. And then we moved into our final group of our season 37 and season 38 champs, the Hearts. Nick will be joining us on the pod a little later. He's going to talk about, of course, his triumphant return and what it means to him to be headed to the Tournament of Champions. And then last week in primetime, we saw the return of Celebrity Jeopardy, featuring Cynthia Nixon, Cedric the Entertainer, and Heather McMahon, 
all competing for one of those coveted spots in the semifinals. We'll get to all those highlights shortly, but first, it's time for our trip down memory lane this week in Jeopardy! History. From the Sony Picture Studios, this is Celebrity Jeopardy! And now, here's the host of Jeopardy!, Alex Trebek! Thank you, Johnny! Welcome to Celebrity Jeopardy! We've got three wonderful celebrities playing for charity. Let's meet them. Sean Connery. Hello, Alex. Burt Reynolds. How you doing? And finally, comedy legend, Jerry Lewis. That's right, Buzzy. It was <laughs> December 7th, 1996, when the yep. first Celebrity Jeopardy sketch aired on Saturday Night Live with Will Ferrell playing host Alex Trebek, Daryl Hammond as Sean Connery. He was so naughty. Norm MacDonald as Burt Reynolds and Martin Short as Jerry Lewis. Those were the, <laughs> the first Celebrity Jeopardy contestants that they came up with. Over the years, of course, those sketches featured some of comedy's best. Amy Poehler, Jimmy Fallon, Ben Stiller, Kristen Wiig, Tom Hanks, so many more. And the sketches ultimately came to an end in 2002, at least the regular appearances. Mm -hmm. That's when Will Ferrell, of course, ended his run as a regular cast member. I very much remember this because Alex Trebek went on to his last show to make an appearance and be like, oh, I'll take it from here, Will. Alex told great stories. He got to go to the SNL after party when he wow. did that. I think he stayed up later than he ever had. So, <laughs> and I'm not judging because I like to be in bed by about 830. But I think the SNL after party is a late one. And of course, Celebrity Jeopardy, you know, it continues on. Yeah. It's interesting because these are so iconic to us. But what's also fun about it is a lot of people overseas who don't have Jeopardy know of Jeopardy from the SNL sketches. Yeah, I don't know if we're thrilled. I mean, we're thrilled that they know of Jeopardy, but <laughs> they certainly aren't getting exactly the right show when you think that S-words is swords and well, you name it. They know it's a joke, but I'm just saying that like, for a lot of people, this is their first taste of Jeopardy, which is so ubiquitous here. Obviously, big influence on me with in my initial run, a lot of my uh, joke Final Jeopardy answers inspired by Daryl Hammond's Sean Connery, especially calling Alex Trebek Trebek. Yeah, that's why I said that guy was a little naughty, and so are you. I am naughty. Uh, but let's be nice and go into some game highlights. All right, let's do it. We kicked off the two-day Total Point Affair final on Monday with Jen Jaswinski, Jenis Chase, and Nick Casconi. It was a close game throughout with all three players in the mix, though Nick, thanks to a big $6,000 daily double, took a pretty strong lead. Then Dennis dropped to third place after missing a big seven thousand dollar daily double god would admire him for taking the chance though all three players incorrect in final so it really was anyone's game heading into game two interestingly enough in the post game chat ken actually pointed out that jen had more than double the correct responses as nick and almost double for dennis so really shows just how, you know, she was locked in with the buzzer, and yet Nick comes away with the lead ending that game. Yeah, great game by all three players. Has the curse of Final Jeopardy come back in the Champions wildcard? We will Did see. Did it ever leave? Did it ever leave? Did well, it ever leave? I think last week it had kind of left. A but, you know, uh, pulling it out, Nick, when it had to, you know, Nick, even though he only has uh, 12 correct responses compared to the 25 of Jen, has no incorrect responses. And if you're only right and you're right on high value clues, hit a, the daily double and make the big wager, that's how he kept himself in it. 
Yeah, Ken pointed that out. He said, you know, Nick, you only had six correct responses in double jeopardy, but they were the right ones. And Nick joked, yeah, that's that's my strategy. <laughs> Buzz in first and answer right. <laughs> then he said, can we change podium places now? I like podium position number one better. And then Jen quickly, of course, said no, because she was in podium position one. And then Ken added, well, yeah, but if you switch, you get that score, too. So then <laughs> Jen was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. But needless to say, we keep people in their same podiums. Yeah for both of the two games in the two-day total point affair. One thing we have added, though, is in game two, if you came into it with the lead, you do get to select first as if you were the returning champion despite your podium position. So that's what Nick had the chance to do in game two. And on Tuesday, we closed it out with the second day of the finals. Dennis and Nick steadily building up their scores neck and neck throughout the entire game. Jen falling victim to an incorrect $5,000 daily double and double jeopardy. Nick entered final in the driver's seat and was correct with an all-in wager, giving him the win and that spot in the TOC. Yeah, great gameplay. Dennis, way to like put yourself back in it as much as you can. It was another tight game for between the two of them. So uh, congratulations, well played all around. Tough break for Jen. Yeah, I have to say Dennis Chase lives, of course, in Palm Springs, California. My mom and dad are out there, and he's all the news. All they, <laughs> all my mom, she's in the paper every day, is on the news. Like, everyone is so excited cheering Dennis along. I didn't have the heart to tell her that he makes it to the finals, but he didn't quite pull off the win. But really, though, great gameplay from all three of these champions wildcard contestants. Interesting story, too, is that after not a very convincing first game, Nick really upped his correct responses to almost 20. Maybe that lead gave him a little little lift. Well, we can find out a little later in the pod when we talk to him, but right now we're heading into the highlights of our last group of the champions wildcard for season 37 and season 38. The Hearts. And we kicked off this group with Roan Talsma. Who can forget Roan Talsma, giant killer to Amy Schneider. And Jeopardy Honors winner for Best Celebration. Yeah, happy to have him back along with Nell Klugman and Henry Bear. Roan started off strong in the Jeopardy round and Henry was actually right on his tail, but then he unfortunately dropped down to zero after missing a true daily double. In double Jeopardy, it was Nell who found the last daily double win all in for $5,600 and was correct to take a commanding lead over Roan, a lead that she protected throughout the rest of the round. But in final, it was a triple stumper. So Henry, with a minimal wager, secures a win from third place. Savvy wager from Henry. Well played by Roan and Nell. And once again, the Champions Wildcard Final Jeopardy strikes. Well, this one I want to remind everyone, because this was a tricky one. The category, A Bit of Britain, in disarray, it was sold at auction in 1915 to a local Wiltshire man who would donate it to the British government three years later. All three of our contestants were really thinking of, you know, some small object you could just hand over to the British government, not thinking of... Stonehenge. I would not have gotten this at all. (laughs) And even Nell was like, I'm never going to have the end of this. I just visited Stonehenge. (laughs) But it really, you know, it's one of those once you hear the response, you're like, oh, of course. But in the moment, you just don't picture you can, you know, just donate something like Stonehenge. Yeah. Also, (laughs) a bit of Britain kind of puts you in your head in a small Small, space. A bit. Yeah. Maybe a copy of the Magna Carta or something like that. Well, we of course know that we were using some redeployed material in these games, and I couldn't help but notice (laughs) when Making Waves came up that I felt like I had, 
I had maybe seen or heard this clue or maybe lived some of these <laughs> clues before. So, yeah, let's just see what it was like back when we didn't have these as text clues and I was actually the one delivering them. You just can't imagine the thrill of shooting the curls at this 19... You just can't imagine the thrill of shooting the curls at this... Yeah, I did a wipeout yes. a lot of times just yeah. in that one clue alone. Wh- wh- I mean, at what point did you say enough is enough? Oh, never. And I had even <laughs> gone down, you know, this was when flowboarding was, right. was kind of new. This was a while ago. And so they sent me down ahead of time to like do a day of flowboarding practice. Which, you know, I think the fact that I could even get up was good. But then right. you try to, like, put a microphone on and deliver a clue while flowboarding. It wasn't easy. And I was up for the challenge. It looks much more painful in the outtakes than it actually was. And then they thought it would be so funny to take all of my falls and edit them together to the uh, song Wipeout. <laughs> well, I was going to say, at least, you know, you're delivering a clue about a wipeout. Yeah. It worked, <laughs> it worked out well in that case. It was it was a natural ending to each of my many, many takes. Yeah. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point of sale system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. They help you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I love about Shopify is how user-friendly it is. It's so easy to build the web shop of your dreams and Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to that next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. They're the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash jeopardy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash jeopardy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash jeopardy. You can understand sounds no matter what language you speak or are learning. Like that, the sound of a right answer in Babbel. This fall, you can start speaking a new language with Babbel. Why Babbel? Because it works. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations. All of Babbel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching. All of you know what a fashion lover I am, so when I found myself in Paris this summer, I had to do some shopping, and Babbel's French courses helped me navigate the shopping experience. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning, 
for real conversations. Here is a very special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash inside J. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash inside J. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash inside J. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, back to Inside Jeopardy. All right, moving on to Thursday with Tyler Vandenberg, Kira Donegan, and Elisa Hovey. Of course, Tyler, you may remember, was defeated by our champions wildcard spades winner, Josh Sack. Mm-hmm. Kira, sister of 2022 National College Championship semifinalist Kristen Donegan, and also the daughter of one of our Season 39 players, Laura Donegan. What a family that is. Oh the God. Donegan gals are wow. Yeah. And then Elisa was a professor's tournament finalist. So she lost to, you know, none other than Sam Buttry in a two-day final. A lot at stake in this game. Tyler and Kira battled back and forth throughout the game, and it was on the last daily double when Tyler took the lead and maintained it heading into final. He was the only one who was correct in final, and he went all in, so he secured that win. Good for you, Tyler. Incredible game. Really well played. Didn't let the first daily double of Double Jeopardy stop him from going in again. Really close finish, and once again, those pesky final Jeopardies Mm. rear their ugly heads. Yeah, and Tyler, you never knew if he was really going to smile. You know, we tell our contestants to kind of keep a poker face until Ken lets you know if you are (laughs) correct or not. Tyler really takes that to the next level. You know, you don't know if he wins or loses until the very last second. Well, in his interview, Tyler did praise the Jeopardy staff and crew for how they treated him on his initial appearance. He said, quote, if you have any questions about what being on Jeopardy is like and what the crew is like, it was the best part of my experience during my time here. They made it so fun. They were so ready to help us. It was my favorite part. That was something that Ken agreed with and I can certainly agree with as well. This is a real one-of-a-kind staff that makes the contestants. It's a special moment for them and I think the staff treats it as such. I love hearing that because we look at these Jeopardy champions, any of our contestants, in awe and so to know that when they have their experience that they leave feeling that it was a great one, whether they win or lose, is a is a good thing. Yeah. Well, we closed out the week with Garrett Marcotte, Bryce Huang, and Brianne Barker. Garrett got out to an early lead and never looked back. He responded correctly to all three daily doubles, adding $9,000 to his score. And he pulls off the first runaway win in the Hearts group. Garrett with the lockout. Incredible play. Perfect 12 for 12 in the double jeopardy round. That is really impressive. I know that this is the end of the week, but... I have a question, Sarah. The hearts will go on. Oh, yes, Buzzy. You know they will. <laughs> wow. Have you been waiting all I've pod? I've been waiting all just... pod to say that. <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as Buzzy did. All right. Well, with that, my heart is going to move on to Wednesday in primetime where Cynthia Nixon, Cedric the Entertainer, and Heather McMahon competed for one of those spots in the semifinals. All three players showed strong play throughout the first two rounds, but it was Cynthia and Heather who really turned it on in triple jeopardy. We saw eight lead changes between the two of them in that round alone. Cynthia was able to take the lead heading into final on the strength of a late round daily double but she was unable to come up with the correct response in final, and Heather did have that response, so it gave Heather that exciting come-from-behind win. I loved in the interview when (laughs) Cedric was talking to Ken, you know, because Cedric joked that this is a bit of a demotion for him. You know, he's going from hosting 
back in season 12 of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire to, to being a contestant. And, and he said, no, 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 it's actually really fun being here playing the game because I'm here with you. I mean, you're the GOAT. You are the Tom Brady of knowledge. That's what he had to say about Ken. I loved it. Yeah, this was a really exciting game. These are big numbers they're putting up there. And I do want to say future Celebrity Jeopardy contestants wager a little bigger on those daily doubles. There are a lot of them in the game, and there's a lot of clues. You can make up some ground. This game didn't have to be as tight as it was, but it was extremely exciting. These are some people I'd like to see back. I know um, Michael Davies likes to talk about who he would invite back, you know, for future celebrities. I think, um, you know, whatever happens in the rest of this tournament, these are three great players. Yeah, I mean, you look at those attempts, Cynthia Nixon in the 50s for attempts, that's a pretty good stat to put up. It means you know a lot of that material. Yeah, overall correct percentage, 91%. Heather with 90%. Even Cedric, 82%, even though he was not quite in that fight at the end, but really strong. That's right. Okay, now it's time for our host chat. An audience member asked Ken, did you watch game shows as a kid? I was always a huge game show kid. Uh, I remember crying on the first day of kindergarten because I realized that as excited I was for school, I was going to miss Pyramid and Match Game and Password and all my favorite shows. <laughs> Jeopardy was always my first love, but before it came back on the air in 84, I was a Family Feud diehard, my favorite show. When my sister was born in 1979, I was so excited because we were finally a family of five. And now we could go on the feud. I think my mom had to break the news to me that a newborn baby would be a terrible family feud player. And uh, it was not going to happen anytime soon. He still watches game shows. He does. <laughs> he hosts one now, too. Yep. All right. Well, now it is time to welcome our champions wild card winner for the clubs, Nick Casconi. Nick, welcome to the pod. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Haven't gotten tired of that intro, have you, Nick? It's. Uh, I think you might be the first official. But no, on the set, of course. Yeah. But after the air, this is the first time I'm being. Uh, I'm with you, so this is awesome. Yes. Well, and you you knew what it was like to be a champion, but not a champion's wild card champion. That's a whole other level. It's a level that I could never have expected or imagined that I could get to. I mean, when I walked into that green room on the first day, my first thought was, you know what, 5,000 for a day is pretty good. Yeah, and one person who knew just what a competitor you are is Jelana Cotter, who of course you played during your initial game and then you got to sit back and watch her put on quite a show in her second chance and champions wildcard competition. I mean, she was amazing. I, I did not know how lucky I was to get past her in that initial game. And now the only people who have beaten her are people who are going to the Tournament of Champions. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. But she also just really was so complimentary of you. And I guess complimentary in a way that was frustrating in that you were just so good on the buzzer. And she also talked about that, you know, you taught her to, to bring some light reading and maybe a little study materials when you're going to compete on the Alex Trebek stage. I thought that was so funny that she decided that, you know, I was I was cramming in the green room. So she thought that was a good idea. And, you know, we both took a little bit of ribbing in the green room for having our books with us. So tell me what it was like when you initially lost in the world of Jeopardy at the time when you lost in season 37. Obviously, a lot was going on. You played with guest hosts. But... It was a time when if you lose as someone who's only won one game, the chances of ever coming back are, are pretty small. So talk me through yeah. kind of the transition of first knowing, wow, they're going to have champions back. It's not going to be me, but they're going to have champions back. And then actually realizing, wait a minute, 
I could be making another trip back to the Alex Trebek stage. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. After I lost my game, I stopped watching. I stopped thinking about trivia. It was so depressing and sad that my ride was over. I couldn't even watch anymore because, like, what's the point of doing well on Jeopardy on television and keeping track of my Coriot score <laughs> when that part of my life is over? So I did not know anything about Champions Wildcard. I did not know anything about that Champions were being invited back until I got a text on my phone saying, we're doing this thing. Do you want to be involved? And that's a sentiment that is not uncommon. So I don't think you need to feel yeah. feel bad about it. But I think a lot of people, after fulfilling this lifelong dream, there's a little bit of a letdown. You've dreamt the dream. Honestly, after my first game, I thought I was ready to go on a tear. I really did. I thought I had good buzzer skills, and I thought I was ready to win a bunch of games in a row. And then I just had the perfect storm in the next game of categories that I wasn't familiar with too really well. And um, Catherine was really a, a strong player. And before I knew it, I was retired. <laughs> well, you did go on a storm. It was just two years later. <laughs> it was two years later. Exactly. Yes, indeed. So once you receive the call and now you have to wake back up because the dream is not over, you're coming back. What do you do to kind of get yourself back in clue shape, if you will, to come back and compete? <laughs> well, I went out and I bought a trivia book called Ken Jennings Trivia Almanac. That is the book that I use to drill every night. We would watch the show and then spend an hour or so drilling out of that book. That was my preparation. I guess I dove back into the deep end. But you were also really strong on the buzzer. So how did you, you know, hone that skill or did you just kind of stay with you? You never lost it. When I got the call, I went to the archive and looked at my statistics and I found out that I had gotten five wrong in each of the games that I had played in 2021. And I just thought that was too many to get wrong. I th I don't think you can be successful. I, I don't think the strategy of just buzzing in on everything and then getting some wrong and some right would be successful for me. I, I decided that I was gonna raise the threshold for wanting to buzz in. I would, I would wanna be even more certain that I had the answer before buzzing in. And so, I went from five wrong in the in my in 21 to two wrong in the quarters and in the semis to zero wrong in both games of the finals and that I'm very proud of that. At that level I think you've already heard everybody knows everything. If you put the Venn diagram of people's <laughs> knowledge over each other at the Champions wildcard level it's 90% identical knowledge and there's a little sliver of 10% that I know that the other two don't know and a little sliver that they know it that I don't know. But at that level, it's it's the metagame of being certain by the time the clue is read that you are going to buzz. And then whether you're listening or whether you're watching for the lights, having that reaction time. You know, I had very different experiences in the semifinal where I had a 78 percent buzz rate, according to archive. And then in the first game of the finals, it was like 30 percent. You mentioned the lights versus listening. Where do you fall in that very divisive uh, question? 100% lights. Wow, okay. Well, you talk about not wanting to get much wrong and knowing that your competitors all have the correct responses as well. But when it came to the first final Jeopardy of the quarterfinals, you were correct. Brandon was incorrect. And it happened to be the Liberty Bell was the correct response. And you told us you had recently visited and read the exact plaque where the quote 
had come into play. So that's a pretty good uh, luck of your travels. Pretty lucky. My uh, stepdaughter lives in Philadelphia. And so we were there to visit her. Um, and I had act. I was actually grew up back in New York. So I had make multiple trips to Philadelphia, saw all of the patriotic stuff that they have there. And the Liberty Hall exhibit is really, really nice, very fun. And you can almost get right up to the bell. So you get into your semifinal and in that you pull off a runaway win. Was that on one of your like <laughs> things I need to do on Jeopardy, like true daily double runaway? Like, you know, were you crossing things off your list as you were going through these games? I mean, everybody wants a runaway win. You want to go to Final Jeopardy with, and, and I took so much ribbing for not knowing Frank Sinatra. Let me tell you, <laughs> it has been relentless. But my answer is, look, once he gave me Ypres and I had a runaway, my brain was shut down. I just turned it off. I had no idea what was happening. I was out. Interesting about, th about that game. If you go back and look, as we go to the commercial break, I think I'm at goose egg. I think I missed a daily double and then had no score or very low score. I was not getting in for the first half of that single Jeopardy round. And I, I think I figured I'm too early. So I actually had to slow down a little bit to, to begin to get in. And then that was the sweet spot. And for the rest of that game I, like i said i was over 75 percent in yeah 15 correct responses in double jeopardy alone so you come away from the semifinals with a runaway that has to put you into the finals feeling pretty confident and that you had hit your stride at the right time i never expected to be in the finals but after the runaway and i was the first semifinal so i had a nice long time to relax and watch the other semifinalists play and then we went to lunch so i had a nice sort of gap there to regroup and going into the finals, you know, I thought, hey, maybe I got a shot at this. Maybe I can actually pull this off. Well, and in game one of the finals, Dennis, unfortunately, loses a big daily double. So, you know, you guys come out of game one and it's really anyone's game at that point because it was a triple stumper in final. I was ahead, but it wasn't a large uh, lead. So I knew as long as I kept close to the other two, if we could get to final jeopardy with a higher total for both games overall. I mean, most games between good players come down to do you know final or not, right? That's just how it is. One thing I noticed looking at the stats of the first final game and the second final game, uh, which Sarah and I spoke about earlier in the podcast, was you had a very low buzzer percentage in the first game and then did much better in the second game. Did you feel like there was a little confidence boost? Like what happened between those two games that kind of shifted for you? I have no idea. I don't know if it was worse categories for them or they were fatigued or they were trying to catch up so that they were coming a little early. I, I, I really can't explain why all of a sudden, I mean, I think I went up like 20 or 30% in buzz through for the second game. And I'm at a loss to explain. I, I, di I didn't make any adjustments. I don't know. That's, I, re I wish I could tell you. I did feel like since I was playing from a position of being ahead, I raised the bar again so that you, you just don't want to give money back. It's such a disaster if you get a big clue wrong, because not only do you lose that, but somebody can rebound you. And now you're having like a $4,000 flip in just one question, which is just not tenable. I know what you're saying, especially sometimes there are those clues where you're deciding between two things and if you make a guess, you're like, oh, it's a coin toss. Well, you just ruled out heads so your competitors can say tails. 
you're very vulnerable if you're buzzing in without a really high threshold of being certain. I mean, you can tell when somebody is guessing they have that little upwards inflection in their in their answer. And it's usually a disaster. That's like 90% of my answers. <laughs> well, we head into Final Jeopardy in game two. And you go all in. You have since talked about the fact that if we're really looking back at it, it obviously worked out for you and you had it correct, but that maybe you miscalculated that Final Jeopardy wager. I know 100% I miscalculated. <laughs> and the way that I miscalculated was that I added Dennis's 3,000 from the previous game into his score before doubling for a correct answer, which made me think that I had mm -hmm. to bet that much more, which was actually more than I had. So I wrote a number greater than what I had. And John had to say, uh, Nick, <laughs> you're not allowed to bet more than you have. Yeah. <laughs> so then when I corrected it, I just corrected it to everything, thinking that I had to do that. In reality, I was 3,000, roughly 3,000 more than I actually had to bet. So that was a mistake. And uh, luckily it worked out. Maybe Jeopardy, you know, maybe Michael Davies could, you know, start a, a loan sharking business for people in Final Jeopardy. Like, hey, another 5,000, you know, yeah. for me to play with we, here in Final. We did see you write that down and we're like, uh, nice try, Nick. You don't have that much money. We're going to go ahead, as we say, a cleanup on aisle C or B or A, depending on so, which contestant needs to rewrite something. How about almost not placing my answer in the form of a question for Heavy Chevy Levy? I mean, talk about a rookie mistake. It you can happens. hear my wife on the playback after it. I correct it. She shouts, dude, <laughs> like it was it was awful. That was well, terrible. You mentioned your wife. You got to have your family in the audience. They got to watch you win this whole thing. And that's something that, you know, wasn't able to happen for you back in season 37. I'm, I'm so happy they could make it because they were my team. You know, they, they drilled me nonstop. They would ask me, have you worked out yet? Susan was very funny because she told, she said, my son Stan, my, his leg was bouncing for eight solid hours on both days. <laughs> and he said afterwards, it's so hard to just be there and watch. It's out of your control. You're just watching the other person do whatever it is they're going to do. He said it was nerve-wracking. With that in mind, will he be coming back to the Tournament of Champions then? Well, they're my, they're my good luck charms. They better come back. <laughs> I can't do it. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Without them. You've done many an interview with us at this point, Nick, and we always introduce you as a physician assistant, but never have you shared your past 
And we've come to find out that you're pretty famous on a few big films. I have to differ, because if you go back to the Dr. Oz show, he asks me in the interview about being on Titanic. Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> I don't remember, Nick, and I was there. I'm so sorry. We all blacked out 2021. That's quite all right. Even Ken said, did we know that Nick was on Titanic? You know, because obviously it's been on Reddit, those famous images of you on that recovery ship. I'm sure Jeopardy is a highlight, but that has to be one as well. <laughs> I was a working actor between 1986 and 2003. I have about 75 credits on IMDb in film and television. I did a lot of stage acting out here as well. And that was the reason that I came out to Los Angeles. I went to conservatory and was tra I'm trained in, in classical acting, stage acting, and then took many, many courses out here in acting for the camera with my great, great teacher, John Lenn, who's no longer with us. I had a wonderful time doing it and was right on the verge of breaking through when 9-11 happened and the whole business went black for years. I lost representation and wound up being back at the very beginning. And at that point, I had a family and did not feel that I could start all over again. And so at the age of 40, it was back to school. And, and that's what happened. Well, it seems this new career that you find so much joy in it as well. You've talked about the support of your colleagues and everyone who was, you know, helping out so that you could come and take those days off and be with us for the, the three days that we needed you for Champions Wildcard and now several days to come for TOC. The best thing about the job that I do now is that at the end of the day, I can look at a list of patients and people who I have helped that day, you know? whether it's just to help them with pain or whether it's helped them to live a healthier lifestyle or to take control of, of their injury and to learn how to overcome or live with it if it can't be overcome. It's very, very uh, material. I mean, there is a list of people at the end of the day who are better off because I showed up at work. That's very gratifying. So you've revealed that you're already starting to study for the upcoming TOC. What is gonna stay the same and what's going to change? My soft spot is, <laughs> since I'm an old guy, my soft spot is pop culture, right? Films, books, TV, movies, uh, music from the 21st century because I stopped being, you know, a young person in the 21st century. So I'm out of touch <laughs> with a lot of that. And so the clubs, which, by the way, are 100% the greatest group <laughs> of the four you can fight me. This is a hill I will die on. We have our uh, group me chat and I have already put out the call for resources and we are taking this on as a group and uh, my performance is going to reflect their help. So what you asked me, what's different prior to this, I, it was just general trivia, but I think between now and then I'm going to add sessions of really focusing in on my soft spots because I don't want to have a, a subject flash up there and say, Okay, that's five questions I'm not going to answer, unless it's opera. So the the gauntlet has been thrown to the uh, Diamonds group. You know, they kind of think they're the ultimate group, but here come the clubs. Well, this is tribalism, right? This is how human <laughs> beings are. You know, you put them in a random group, and pretty soon their random group is the best random group. So let's forget about the groups, because I want to talk a little bit about you. As you, If you've listened to the podcast, you know I have two very hard-hitting questions here. One, when you are here at Sony, what is your lunch order? I am the very strictly a very light salad with a little bit of protein. Don't even finish it. Just gas up 
You don't want blood going to your gut. You want blood going to the brain. I think being a little hungry is good. Okay, protein source. Uh, we've got a few choices at the salad bar. We've got chicken breast. We've got the tuna salad. Sometimes yeah. there's a little salmon. What What are you going for for protein? Uh, mostly greens. Um, a healthy dose of croutons for quick energy, and then just a little bit of the the chicken for protein. Okay. And honestly, I think I ate maybe a half of it or two thirds of it. Are you a caffeinator in the morning and afternoon? Uh, in the afternoon. So uh, Coke Zero is my poison. Add a, a nice uh, a 16 ounce of Coke Zero and ready to go for the afternoon. I can tell you that you have a friend in James Holtzauer who is also <laughs> a big soda drinker. But uh, never a salad will you have. Never him. a salad. You will not see well, him eating any salad on a good uh, tape day. <laughs> my next question, what is the Jeopardy stat that you are most proud of? I think we already talked about it. Getting from five wrong per game to, to a perfect game, you know, 19 and one in the first final, 20 and 0 in the second final. I mean, I'll put that on my tombstone. Well, you've also been commenting a bit on some of, I'm going to call them the haters that are just like, they're in tournament overkill. You know, when are we getting back to regular games? And you're speaking up on behalf of fellow champions like yourself who were given this unbelievable opportunity. Talk about that a little bit. I think online people forget that there are actual human beings behind the keyboards and, and that are involved in this stuff. And so, I mean, I understand that people have preferences and, and you know, if they're tired of the tournament and they want to see new players, and I, I totally get that. But when you come on and just kind of blindly just, I hate this, this is dumb, I don't want to see this anymore. There are, there are people who are making these decisions and there are people who are involved in making these shows. And the shows are excellent television, you know? And so I tried to just gently remind people that, you know, human beings are involved in this and you're entitled to your opinion. But look, this sounds like somebody from the 19th century, you know, but when you express an opinion, it might be nice to consider that people have feelings and are trying to do the best job that they can. And they're working with a strike situation, which means that new questions aren't able to be produced. And so I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I just think I'm on a quixotic quest for civility in, in the online space. I love it. Because I'm a human tunic. I read those comments and I'm right. We're just trying to put on some great shows. And what I've said time and time again is that is what happened. This is amazing. This, and I know I was involved in a lot of it, but <laughs> this was amazing television. Those games were something else. Absolutely. And, and um, I mean, it was great Jeopardy, whether it's with new players or it's not. These are great Jeopardy shows. And if you can't see that because you're so locked in, I just want to see new people, then I don't know what to say. Yeah. yeah. And Michael Davies has said it time and time again. What he wants is to see the best players playing Jeopardy on the Alex Trebek stage. You know, we didn't know what would happen, but it's certainly what you and all of your competitors have provided for us in this first half of season 40. And we can't wait, Nick. We're going to welcome you back very soon for the TOC. We know you'll be studying. We know you're going to have some of your club's members in the audience. And we can't wait to see what happens. I'm going to actually have a larger hat size when I come back because so many more facts will be stuffed up in there. <laughs> well, good luck. And thank, thank you so you. much for joining thank us you. on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. That brings us to the end of today's show. Join us next week as we discuss more Champions wildcard highlights, plus the last quarterfinal game for Celebrity Jeopardy with Kira Sedgwick, Mo Rocca, and Amanda Seals. 
And we're going to talk with Champions Wildcard finalist, Dennis Chase. Can't wait to catch up with him. I'm looking forward to it. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us at Jeopardy on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. And we will see you all next week. See you then.